Welcome to the very first official episode of the Raptors Reasonablists podcast in association with The Athletic Toronto and Homestand Sports. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. I'm joined by who will be my regular guest uh, beside me, Eric Green. Eric, how's it going, buddy? Um, it's going It's going all right. It's going okay. B minus. okay. B minus. We can, can roll with B minus. If you went home with B minus, though, wouldn't your parents be like a little upset, like passive aggressively upset? See, I think my parents were always pressured by their parents to get good grades, so they in turn didn't put pressure on me to get good grades. But I did get good grades, but all the pressure was internalized, and here I am today, an anxious wreck. So I think it's my parents' fault for not pushing me harder. Does that okay. make sense? I don't think that checks out. Because you didn't have external pressure, any yeah. pressure on you had to become internal. Yeah, because there has to be pressure no matter what. Of course, you can't just be happy. Yeah, no, that'd be dumb. Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. This is, a, this is a great start. We're going to depress people right out of the gate. Um, oh, I guess we should start, um, since this is the Raptors Reasonableist podcast, uh, Eric Hailsorp. Hailsorp. All right, so uh, coincidentally, we have some things to reasonableize on the first episode of this podcast. The Raptors are not playing particularly well. Uh, they dropped five of seven. Part of that is probably fatigue. They seem exhausted. They've been on the road almost constantly for weeks now. Um, but the defense is slipping. The defensive rebounding has dropped to last in the NBA. Uh, there are some cracks showing, and people are worried. Eric... We're going to talk about uh, that. We're going to talk about why they've struggled. We're going to talk about why they should trade every single player on the team for a better version of that player. Um, where do you where do you want to start? How concerned are you after the Raptors have dropped five of seven? Well, let's start about the defense, uh, with the defense, rather, since I think that's sort of been the consistent thing that merits worrying, like actual worrying throughout the season. That, that really hasn't changed. So that is the largest sample size of being real. Um, and it was sort of, you know, before the game started, several people came up to me. I'm sure several people came up to you and it was like, this has schedule loss written all over it or before the Houston game, I should say. You know, off offensive team, team that can bomb threes and carve you up inside. Uh, and uh, come, with the Raptors coming off an overtime loss in Chicago, which to me is the far more concerning loss of the two. Uh, but that's neither here nor there for now. Uh, but whether it was a schedule or not, you know, they sort of, the, the perimeter defenders who you expect to be sturdier have throughout the season not been. And I'm thinking of Corey Joseph. I'm thinking of, Damari Carroll, Terrence Ross got killed by Eric Gordon on, on Sunday night. Uh, and then the rim protection, like the only guy who really provides it is Lucas Neguera. Um, but he's been part of the rebounding issues, right? Like he's can be pushed under the net by just about any big man in the league. Uh, so I guess this isn't, I mean, I think to be concerned 
to be legitimately concerned is to be reasonable in this case. That's a, that's an interesting twist. Normally we tell people not to be too concerned. That's the reasonable approach. But you make good points. And it's hard to just say, yeah, these defenders will defend better when it matters more. Um, we have seen Corey Joseph defend better, and we've seen Damari Carroll defend better. Um, we've seen Terrence Ross defend better for stretches, but we probably all should have expected yeah. a, a dip at some point. Um, but there are issues that aren't just going to solve themselves by everyone trying harder. If we had access to... Uh, the Raptors' internal stats, most teams keep these. I imagine they'd rank pretty high in blow-bys. Um, things like that, you know, over 82 games, you hit blips where maybe the effort level isn't all that high or fatigue sets in. Um, I, I want to come back to Joseph in particular because his defensive play more than anyone else seems to have dropped off. Do you have a good explanation for why? Or is this even actually the case? Are we just... Um, picking this out because someone has to be the culprit. Uh, I know defensive RPM ranks him among the worst yeah, uh, defenders in the NBA. That that's that has its own issues. But um, is Joseph a worrying a worrisome point for you more than maybe a Carroll or a Ross who are by nature um, not at 100 percent or inconsistent? Uh, it's worrying in that I don't like you asked me if I have an explanation for it. I don't. You know, like so that's what's worrying about it. Like I. Uh, I think I definitely like to be able to rationalize things. And we saw him be so effective for such long stretches last year. And it hasn't happened. And it got to the point on Sunday night where I was like, I think I'd rather Norm Powell be in the game than Corey Joseph right now. Uh, I mean, and that's not an extreme statement. Norm Powell as everybody who really follows the Raptors knows has his uses. But for a team like Houston, where the two guys who are really beating you off the bounce are Harden and, uh, and Eric Gordon, like Corey Joseph should be able to, to make, you know, one of those guys really, really work for it. And that just hasn't been the case this year. So I think, I mean, there's no good answer for this. And it's like you say, they should just play better. Uh, unless, unless like, they're hiding an injury, which there's no indication is the case for Corey Joseph. I think, um, you know, maybe they're just still figuring out the communication with the big men a little bit. But the, that, does, that does not answer the, why are you getting, getting beat so cleanly? Like, I, I can't really wrap my head around that one when it's, more or less the same exact perimeter defenders that are on the floor this year versus uh, last year. Yeah, and I wonder how much, like obviously this stuff is all connected and it, it tends to snowball and one feeds the other, um, but these blow-bys on the perimeter and these guys getting beat, that puts extra pressure on the rim protection. Um, we've seen countless cases. You mentioned Lucas Noguera hurts the defense rebounding. He'll come over to help, and, and yes. Noguera's biggest asset is rim protection and help defense, um, and then someone's got to pick him up from behind, and he's at a position for the rebound, and it seems you know the Raptors can do one or maybe two things right on each defensive possession, but not all of them. We saw against um, Houston, they did a good job chasing them off the three-point line, and then Houston scored 66 points in the paint. Uh, Chicago, they actually did a pretty good job stopping the initial uh, possessions, but then they got hammered on the on the defensive glass. Uh, I'm, is it? It's one of these weird things, and, and the defense has been the case all year. Is like, yeah, defensive rebounding is their 
Um, they're worse things statistically right now. Anytime you're dead last in anything, in the words of Dwayne Casey on uh, on Sunday, even if you're dead last in tiddlywinks, you should be uh, worried that you're dead last. Yeah. So that's obviously one thing to point to. I don't think that that's something that, you know, tweaking schematically is maybe going to change. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas remains an elite defensive rebounder. Um, maybe there's a, an argument to be made he should be playing. Uh, he should have a longer leash in some of these games. I thought Saturday and Sunday he, he played okay, and then they went away from him entirely late. Um, Jared Sollinger's return might help. He's another elite defensive rebounder. But if there's one thing, it, it's the perimeter defense, and that's kind of creating holes elsewhere. And I don't know... I don't know what degree I, to which I should be concerned about it um, because there is that element of maybe they could just play better. I don't know. It, it's I, I have trouble with it too because uh, Boston is here Tuesday and then from there the schedule gets pretty easy for a little bit. So if the Raptors suddenly start defending better, I don't know if that really means anything. Well, nothing means anything, Clay. Yeah, nothing means anything. That's, that's No, it's funny though. Talking about the rebounding, like... We had, on Saturday, Chicago, the best offensive rebounding team in the league uh, versus the Raptors, who are now the worst offensive rebounding team in the league. I'm not sure if they were before that game. They are now. Uh, And in the first half, I was doing the 10 observations column I do on many games. I was like, the Raptors are really doing a great job on the boards. Like, DeMar DeRozan and Terrence Ross were like, coming in from the perimeter to help out the big men, like when there was a blow-by or some penetration. They were, like, they were really doing a great job, and then it just like all came apart at the same time uh, in the late third and early fourth quarters. So I think that goes back to your point. Like They can't really put it all together, and you know the... I don't see the answer being scheme. I mean, we can talk about Jonas Valanciunas' defensive role. That's like maybe the only area where you would want to discuss the scheme. And it's really not the biggest issue right now, you know, like it's it should pick up. But again, if they if they beat the Nets on Friday and the Knicks on Sunday and then the Nets and Sixers next week, like what does. And they hold these teams to, you know, a a reasonable number and all of a sudden they're 15th or 14th or 13th in defensive efficiency instead of, I believe, 20th where they are now. Has anything really changed? And that's the flip side of, you know, the schedule going soft. It's going to be tough to draw any specific and, you know, specific conclusions that you can feel really good about. Are you at a point, though, with this team where maybe they need a stretch like that? They they played six out west. They came home for a quick minute, went to Chicago, turned around, uh, and played at, at home in, against Houston. Uh, top back-to-back. There is, I tweeted out earlier Monday, that yesterday was just the second day since December 21st where the Raptors spent an entire day in Toronto without a flight or without being on the road. And conversely, I, I saw that... Cleveland played in Phoenix on Sunday, and it was their first game in either the Mountain or Pacific time zone all year. So there you go. These things, as they the say, fixes in. Yeah, they they even out. Um, I mean, yeah, like uh, they obviously have a softer portion of the schedule coming to them, and I thought that maybe the win over Utah would be a galvanizing sort of confidence-boosting thing, as loath as I am to believe in 
sort of narratives like that. But it's funny, like the two wins over Utah are like their best two wins uh, in the last few weeks. And they've both sort of been the product of Kyle Lowry being brilliant in the fourth quarter. Like when's the, when's the last time that there was like a, you know, a complete team win over, you know, good opposition. Not that, I mean, obviously this team is built on Kyle Lowry being really, really good. So that's not to negate those victories, but But yeah, you have to go back to, I mean, they blew out Orlando, but Orlando's uh, in a rough spot before that. You have to go back to, you know, they hammered Milwaukee on December 12th. That's probably the last time they beat a quality team with like, uh, other than Utah with a quality start to finish win. Um, I guess you could say in Portland. Portland didn't have Damian Lillard, but... And they didn't even play that great. Like, they really struggled offensively that game. Yeah, so it's a, it's been a while since they had... I, I guess we shouldn't say it's been a while since they had a, a great win because those two Utah games, they still won those games. Yeah, and Kyle are... Lowry's brilliance is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that, that counts. That's like a thing that makes the Raptors a pseudo-contender as yeah. they are. Yeah, if Houston had missed all their shots too, then the Raptors would have won that game. So you can't just throw out Lowry's uh, Lowry's performance. Well, they Uh, tried for a while. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Lowry did not play particularly... He didn't play poorly on Sunday. Uh, The Rockets did a good job taking him out of the game. Um, They trapped really high. They got the ball out of his hands. Uh, What did you think of how the Raptors responded to... We've seen this a lot lately. Milwaukee was hyper-aggressive with it. Uh, A few other teams have been really, really aggressive trapping and getting the ball out of of Lowry's hands, either making DeRozan beat them or trapping both of those guys. How do you think the Raptors responded to Houston's defensive attention on Sunday? Well, they scored 122 points, so I'm not that... That's a lot of points. You know, like... The turnovers, uh, it's like, that was the thing. Like, I went back and looked at the box score, and Houston scores 129 points despite shooting uh, just under 30% from three. And the Raptors score 122 points despite turning the ball over, I think, 19 times. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, it's, I, I haven't checked out the pace numbers for the game, but that's kind of absurd. Yeah, there were 104.3 estimated possessions, and that's not a number that can actually be accurate in one game. There were not 0.3 possessions. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a fast-paced one. Um, not, a, not a ton of defense either. Both teams had a really high offensive efficiency. Um, I, this team, and I think this is where Jared Sollinger might help, this team is sort of short on secondary playmakers off that type of trap and you can see Lucas Nogueira do it like his ability to read the defense when he gets that that sort of the emergency pass when Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan is trapped is is really like that's he's elite at that and it's a small well you know small things are big things but it's something he does very well but I'm not sure how many guys on this roster are very good at that? Like, you know, Damari Carroll isn't, Terrence Ross isn't, Norm Powell isn't, Jonas Valanciunas isn't, uh, Pascal Siakam, who's been banished from the rotation, certainly isn't. Uh, they And I think there were cases where Kyle held on to the ball too long, too. So I... Um, I don't think this is a huge thing going forward because they're still, for the most part, scoring at very, very, very good rates. But this is the type of thing you're going to see in the playoffs for sure, you know, when teams have time to game plan around you. And Tuesday's performance and uh, 
uh, or sorry, Sunday's performance and Saturday when Jimmy Butler was on Lowry, uh, they gave you cause for concern uh, a little bit. Uh, not to, again, they're scoring at such a high level that I'm not, I'm not really sweating it, but it is something to keep in mind for the rest of the season for sure. Yeah, it's, the offense sputtering even a little bit against extra defensive attention, and it hasn't really done that yet. Um, but people are starting to draw comparisons to the 2014-15 Raptors, the Lou Williams' greatest Vasquez Raptors. Uh, I think that's that's a little premature, right? As much as cracks are showing in this seven-game stretch, and the Raptors are not playing particularly well defensively, and there are some troubling signs, they are not the getting swept by the Randy Whitman Wizards Raptors again, right? I have trouble believing that. Yes, which doesn't mean, like, I can see a scenario which they're eliminated in the first round. I don't think it'll happen. But, you know, you go down the list of teams who they might play, you know, whether it's Milwaukee or Washington or Chicago, you know, like these are teams that if things go the wrong way, they could lose a series to. I don't, again, I don't think it'll happen. But I don't think this is deter- this team is deteriorating like that. I was... I was on that trip in 2014 and 15, the one that spanned New Year, uh, or the end of it, when they just got throttled by Golden State and then got killed by Phoenix. And that really started uh, their sputtering, and that's when you could notice a dip in Lowry's play. Until you really see, you know, it's, it's simplistic sometimes, but until you see sustained... Uh, a sustained dip in play from Kyle Lowry. I'm not that worried about this team just imploding. Well, I don't want to see that. You don't uh, want to see that? I don't That's... want to see a sustained dip in Kyle Lowry's play, no. Yeah, that, and that would be bad. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen either. No, I mean, barring yeah. injury or... And that's what I'm saying. Neither do I. I don't see that happening. Like, I see that he had, a you know, a game where he had trouble navigating extra pressure and but that's two games removed from him winning them a game so against a really good defensive team so i'm pretty i'm pretty cool on that you are pretty cool here <laughs> one uh one more from this recent stretch and it's it's another one that's tough to juggle mentally the offense defense trade-off because uh yodas valanciunas is not a good defender he's sometimes not a terrible defender he can sniff average sometimes Uh, most often he's below that and the Raptors don't they're not wanting for offense right now and most of what Valanciunas brings um, high efficiency low usage post scoring uh, big dive threat terrific screen setting most of what he brings is on the offensive end Uh, on Sunday the Raptors did seem to miss his screen setting a little bit as they went super small to try to come back against Houston Um, They seem to miss him on the boards against Chicago and in the paint against Houston down the stretch. Uh, Valanciunas, as always, his fourth quarter role is kind of up and down. He's had some games lately where he plays 19-20 minutes, others where he's playing 31-32. How have you felt about the usage of Jonas Valanciunas during this stretch? Could they have been getting more out of him, or is he playing the amount that he deserves to play um, given how each game has gone? The first thing I want to say is, and it's a point you've made, I'm I'm pretty impressed with how Dwayne Casey has experimented uh, in this recent stretch uh, since Patterson got injured, basically. I I think he'd be, in past years, he would have been a lot more locked into a certain rotation pattern 
or you know would have prioritized not disrupting things uh so it's not a big thing but it's something i, I would like to point out because you know there are a fair number of casey haters uh that we both deal with on a regular um on a regular sort of basis and gonna hate eric yeah uh, and I thought, like, for example, them going small to start last night really worked. Uh, and it was a smart thing to do and to match up and to disrupt your rotation a little bit uh, makes sense. I think, you know, Jonas Valanciunas probably could have been used more, especially in, in Saturday's game when the rebounding became a problem. I get the issue on Sunday. You yeah, know? Brian Anderson is among the tougher matchups for Valanciunas. I don't think many good things would have come of that unless the Rockets reverted to them shooting two for 17 from three points as they did in you know, the first half, which they clearly didn't. Um, so may, maybe the Bulls game, I thought there was a legitimate gripe there. Uh, I, I wasn't sort of losing my mind over it at the time, but looking back, I could I could see the case and I can make the case. Um, but it's it's a it's not an easy job, you know. It is his it is Dwayne Casey's job to adjust on the fly, but he has given the coach a lot of reasons not to trust him in in certain scenarios, especially late in the game. So. For him to magically feel when it's going to be the right moment, uh, I think you've got to have some empathy for the coach and some understanding that it, it's he's not always going to make the right call in that regard, and it's totally understandable why he might lean away from him. Yeah, and in most cases, the decisions he's making, you know, Pascal Siakam had probably a longer leash than he should have had, and Patrick Patterson not starting will always be, uh, you know, something you can use against Casey and his flexibility. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, I agree. He's trying new things. He's getting outside of his comfort zone. The Raptors have played uh, small much more than maybe was expected, and that's not just with Carroll at the four. That's with Patterson at the five or Norman Powell at the four. Uh, they've tried a lot of new things. They've gone dual centers, which is a, a really tough look. So he deserves credit. And, and it's a, a funny thing where, you know, it didn't work out because they lost. But starting Norman Powell and starting small is something most of the Casey detractors seem to wish would happen all the time. And then going small down the stretch uh, with Patterson at the five, Carroll at the four, you know, you line up how the game might play out against the Rockets. And I think most people thought, oh, yeah, that's a look that they that would maybe work and that they should go to because you can switch one through five and you can have a lot of spacing on the floor to try to keep up with them on the other end. Uh, and if it had worked out, it would have been great and everyone would have said, hey, I called that and Casey finally did it. Um, but it didn't work out. And so now instead we're asking where Valanciunas was, where had he been out there, you know, maybe the Rockets would have had to adjust and Montreal Harrell would have been out there down the stretch instead of Ryan Anderson. Who knows if that would have been better, considering Montreal Harrell was like 28 for 29 from the floor in this game? At least. At least. Montreal Harrell, as you've uh, now dubbed him by accident. Yeah, thank you. Autocorrect. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts from the Saturday-Sunday back-to-back? Obviously, we've got to look at the Tuesday now. Um, Boston can pull even for number two in the East in that game, but... Um, anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to pull away from either the the weekend back to back or the five losses in seven games stretch? Um, no, not really. All right. I think I uh, 
I continue to want to see a bit more Norm Powell. Maybe. Who doesn't? Uh, but there was, you know, enough of him on, on Sunday, and we've belabored this point uh, uh, for a while because, like, my wanting to see Powell conflicts with my belief that a healthy and fully optimized Damari Carroll is a great thing for this team, and it's something they should be working toward in, in the long term. And my belief that Terrence Ross is playing the best basketball of his career. So, what do you do? Yeah, Demar Carroll had a straight. He's had a strange three games. I feel like in the last three games, he's put in maybe his best three halves of the season and his two worst halves. Yeah, um, that's I not think... all the halves. There's the half left. Yeah. So wow. Well, how did the, how did that half go? Was it just? Average? It was probably somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> but like the the what was it the first half or the second half one half of the utah game he was great and i thought he was terrific in the first half of the chicago game too second half of the utah game second half yeah i thought he was good early against chicago and then offensively he was really good against houston um i don't know he's playing 40 minutes which i guess is encouraging yeah um i think that is and that's a question i'm getting a lot lately like what is this guy's role on the team well it's to be healthy and useful in april and if it's not happening now, you're concerned. If it's not happening in March, then maybe you start to change your rotation, you know? <laughs> like Yeah, I wrote about that last week for uh, Raptors Republic. That yeah. yeah, if it were a strict meritocracy and the Raptors were trying to maximize every minute right now, Damari Carroll would probably be playing less, but they're not. No, nor should they be. Nor should they be. Um, one other person, not person, I'd like to see more of is Norm's new puppy. Apollo. I talked talk to Norm about Norm's new uh, new puppy, thanks to your hot tip. Yeah, um, Apollo is a Pomeranian Husky. I met him on Thursday after the game. He's adorable. Yeah. He's a good dog. All dogs are good dogs, but this dog especially. Not to spoil the story I'm working on, but about Apollo, Norm says, sometimes he hits the pee pad right now, and sometimes he does not, which... Sounds you know, a lot like the Toronto Raptors. It's, it's a metaphor for life, really. Sometimes you hit the pee pad, sometimes you don't. Yeah. That's a... Uh... All right, sure, we'll go with that as a metaphor for life. <laughs> Eric, let me ask you, will the Raptors uh, hit the metaphorical pee pad on Tuesday when the Boston Celtics visit? Uh, their last test for some time as the schedule turns easier, and one that's sure to panic fans if they lose because uh, the Celtics will pull even in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, sure, they're going to win. Okay, good Sharp analysis. He's <laughs> like, you know, they're both good teams. I think there will be a sense of urgency with the Raptors, and I still, like, you know, Isaiah Thomas cutting them off does concern me, but I think I still sort of lean toward the Raptors being the better team. Getting Patterson back is massive for this game since Boston can give you uh, many looks up front uh, and Patterson is sort of a necessary ingredient uh, on this Paul Millsap-less Raptors team uh, to contend with those looks. Uh, I think it's a good game. I think uh, this should sort of be the start of the rivalry we all sort of anticipated 
when Al Horford signed in Boston. Like, as cool as the Raptors win in Boston was earlier in the year. Very cool. And it was was a cool win. Uh, This is a game, I think, that really you could – I mean, it's one of 82, so it could just be a garbage game. But uh, this is – this is what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out for sure. So how can we start the the rivalry more in earnest? Like, should we go in the Celtics locker room uh, before the game and let them know all the smack Toronto's been talking in theirs? Is this, what's our approach? How, how unprofessional can we get to finally give the Raptors a rivalry? Not only so there's more heated games and maybe a heated playoff series, but maybe something heated enough to get a Christmas Day game next year. Can we play a role in this, Eric? I don't know. We should just probably start yelling about Ryan Gosling getting uh, an Oscar nomination over the sure-to-win Casey Affleck in another Toronto-Boston rivalry. Ooh, that, wow. Going deep. Yeah. I, I am going deep. I haven't seen La La Land yet in Casey Affleck. Uh, and as with most things, Toronto-Boston, uh, you know, the Boston side of that one, uh, it seems to be garbage outside of the movie we're talking about. Yes, I, uh, I don't feel... I have not read enough about that particular issue to delve into it. It's, all I can say is his performance was very captivating in Manchester by the Sea. Oh, yeah, you did that uh, Christmas Day doubleheader, right? Yeah, it was uh, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and I felt great after it. Really good about life. Just super positive. Yeah. Fully, I, miss, fully oh, missed the pee pad that day. I, I didn't, actually. It's been one of my better days recently. Both of those movies... Despite your feelings about Casey Affleck, which should definitely be conflicted, both of those movies are worth seeing as uh, works of cinema. I've seen neither. Ball is life, Eric. That's all I was watching on Christmas Day. Yeah, well, you know, something you need a little diversity sometimes. You need to know when to take a break. Especially you. Like, yeah, you, I don't. You, you need to know when to take a break. Um, this would be if we haven't exactly nailed down the format this podcast is going to take that would have been a a great spot for a break if we were doing act breaks um, when we determine how long this podcast is going to be yeah we don't know so instead we'll just transition um i don't know if we'll kind of surf the news and touch on topics quickly but there are two um raptors related items worth noting today i think eric the first of those is that delon wright has been assigned to raptors 905 Right, uh, dislocated his shoulder and tore his labrum at Summer League in July. He's been out since then, targeting a mid-January return. Um, the Athletic has been told that Wright is not being sent down with the intention of playing in games yet. He's still only cleared for three-on-three, so he's going down to get extra practice time. Hasn't been cleared for full practice yet. Uh, but this is obviously encouraging. The Raptors don't want for guard depth, but anytime you can get a, a player back healthy, that's a good thing. Especially because he showed what he did play for the Raptors last year at the end of the season. He showed some flashes, you know, like he, he, I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. I still think that. I know people haven't seen a lot of him, but I'm pretty bullish on his, uh, his prospects as at least a backup point guard in this league. And when you get to start, to thinking about trades, which no Raptors fan is right now, obviously. They're Haven't very been asked one question about they're it. very focused on the here and the now uh, and what's going on with this team as it is currently composed. But if one were to 
forecast a trade, you know that salaries have to max up or match up rather. And um, Corey Joseph makes about eight million dollars a year, which may or may not be a useful number to toss into that melee or mishmash or soup that trade call soup. soup. Um, All right. I don't know. Uh, my point is, is, if there is a big trade to be made, uh, Corey, jo- I'm not, you know, I don't think they're looking to trade Corey Joseph, but he, his contract makes him a potentially outgoing player in a trade. And the more you can see from DeLon Wright, who I think has a future of being pretty serviceable, the better it would be for the Raptors and the more comfortable they might be with making such a trade. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Joseph is the hometown guy. Everyone really seems to like him. Uh, But yeah, they have four point guards on the team and Van Vliet has shown he can do at least enough to be the third point guard. And DeLon Wright last year, you know, after he caught up to the speed of the NBA game in the D-League and figured out some of the, the defensive differences. He looked way too advanced right away for the D-League, especially on the offensive end, leading the the break in transition and the half-court offense. He's got that, all those kind of amoebic drives where you, you have no idea where he's going, um, but he sees teammates, you know, 360 degrees around him. Wright's good. I, I liked him in college. I thought he... You know, I think right now he could play backup NBA minutes, so I'm with you. The, I don't know if the Raptors will stomach the idea of potentially playing seven or eight minutes per playoff game without Lowry or Joseph on the floor, um, but you got to give up something to get something in a trade. So maybe yeah. Joseph is outgoing. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, regardless of that, an injured player becoming healthy is uh, or healthier is definitely good news. And whether it's for this season or next season or as an asset asset himself in a trade, like this is, it could only be positive. And Wright in particular is a player who intrigues me uh, with his sort of vision and intelligence and herky-jerky style. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what he can do when he, when he can do more than three-on-three type play. Well, to see that, you might have to, you know, rent a car and head to Mississauga. Yeah, uh, I've become less excited. Yeah, well, the, that's the thing, right? Is that Wright might be back and he might have not lost a step and he might be really good, but the path to playing time still isn't there. Uh, but like you said, it's about more than just, you know, can DeLon Wright contribute to the game on Friday? Yeah, uh, um, and that, that's the whole nature of what the Raptors are currently building, right? Yeah. Like, why well, you got Raptors 905, and that's why you have such a young roster on a roster that can also compete with uh, all but the best teams in the NBA. Um, this is why you do that. All but the best teams in the NBA. Oh. All but. Um, one more quick thing to touch on. Today, the Brooklyn Nets waived Anthony Bennett. Uh, Bennett did well for himself to get one more guaranteed contract in the NBA for this season. Uh, but after it didn't work out, in Cleveland and Minnesota and it didn't work out with the Raptors last year and it's now not worked out with the Nets who waived him to sign uh, former Raptor favorite Quincy AC. Is this the end of the line for Anthony Bennett as an NBA player, Eric? I think it is for the end term. I mean, the Nets have as much incentive as any team to try and find upside in a cheap 
devalued prospect, you know, like they don't have picks of their own or their, their, their own picks, I should say. They have no real path to getting better quickly. If he had anything and was looking like anything more than the player we've seen in those first three stops, uh, they would have tried to make more of it. And uh, if they couldn't see that, then I doubt that any of the 29 other teams are going to come to an conclusion and say, well, maybe we're the ones that can change him. I think he's going to have to work on his game elsewhere. And, you know, I still, I see some, uh, I, I haven't stopped seeing that player who could be a really useful NBA player, the, the skills of that player, I should say. But he, those pieces have not come together at all in the NBA. And uh, obviously, as Canada Basketball Observer, uh, it's disappointing. Um, 2013 draft, man, so, so, so strange. Like, there's there's a really interesting book that could be written about that draft, I think, in five or ten years. Are you going to write it? Um, I should, I guess, copyright it. Yeah, get or, going now. Oh, yeah. You can already write the Anthony Bennett chapter. Yes, I could. That's one. Yeah. Who else was in that draft? Was that the Bruno draft? Or, or no, uh, that was the Stephen Adams uh, draft. Or they had their yeah. pick. Yeah, Giannis, Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah, this is the draft where the non-lottery team yeah. would definitely beat the lottery team. Yeah, that was a draft where the Raptors reportedly tried like crazy to uh, leap the Bucks and and take Giannis Antetokounmpo, which I believe. Our mutual friend and your frenemy, Daniel Reynolds, has uh, threatened to write fan fiction about a scenario in which the Raptors uh, just draft, don't acquire Kyle Lowry and draft Giannis Antetokounmpo and, uh, and go from there. I object to calling Dan Reynolds and I frenemies because that would imply that we are at least partially friends. <laughs> <laughs> leave that. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say I'll leave that between you two, but I brought it up. So no, it's very public. I dunk on him regularly. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I like Daniel. He's a good dude. Yeah, so do I. I'm just just <laughs> taking the piss out of him. Um, you can actually uh, see me take the piss out of Dan in person on Thursday at Hoop Talks. Eric, you're doing Hoop Talks with me too on Thursday, right? I sure am. Prior to Thursday, though, on Wednesday. I the day prior to Thursday is yes, Wednesday. Yes, Wednesday comes before Thursday. Every week. Yeah. Um, there is a subscriber appreciation party for subscribers to The Athletic Toronto. Um, that's taking place at Bar Homestand on Bloor Street. Uh, that's Wednesday, uh, 6, 6 to 10, 6 o'clock. People can start showing up. The event on Facebook says 7. I believe the email said 6. I believe um, subscriber... The way I understand it, I should really understand these things better, except it's not my job to. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think subscribers can start showing up 6 to 7, and people who have RSVP through other means can start showing up at 7. But we should probably clarify this before we put it on the internet. Maybe, yes. we, can delete, maybe we can just delete it from the record if I have misrepresented this. And, yeah, that's fine. Uh, that's that, sounds, that is my understanding of it as well. But I would encourage anyone who is not a subscriber who plans on showing up, subscribe. Yeah, do subscribe. We're trying. We're trying some things. We're trying to be good, and I think uh, 
you know, on this, on the basketball side, on the hockey side, on the baseball side, even on the burgeoning Toronto SC side, um, we're offering something a little different, um, something very reasonable quite often, uh, and it comes at a reasonable price. Uh, so I think if you love Toronto sports or follow Toronto sports, uh, there is value to be had there. Plus, if you're a subscriber, uh, we're basically at your whim. If you want a certain guest on the podcast, if you want Eric and I to talk about a certain thing, if you want Eric and I off the podcast altogether because two guys mostly agreeing with each other for half an hour at a time isn't your thing, uh, you can tweet feedback on this podcast. Obviously, it's the, the first episode, so we're going to figure out the format and uh, how we're going to go about it. Uh, but you can tweet me at Blake Murphy ODC or Eric at Ecarine. Um, on Twitter, any feedback, uh, any suggestions, we'll try to incorporate as much of that as possible. Or you just talk to us at the subscriber appreciation event on Wednesday at Bar Homestand from 6 or 7 uh, to 10 o'clock. Eric, any parting shots for the listeners before we close the first episode of the Raptors Reasonable podcast? If you do come on Wednesday, please come with your questions about the television show Rectify, but only up to season two, episode five. That's Is my- that a show I should be watching? Um, I don't know. It's it makes you, as I explained to Internet uh, phenomenon gourmet gourmet spud yesterday. It's a show that makes you equal parts sad and hopeful each episode. Um, it's very slow paced and somehow fills my soul a little bit more each time I watch an episode, even when it's bleak. So. Uh, I have good things to say about it, as I just said about it. <laughs> <laughs> I have good things to say about it. Here are those good things. Yeah. I like it. We, we've now worked Perd Happily in on top of the reasonable yeah. lists. This here is, is going to be a Parks and Rec podcast by the time the season's over. That it is not a question, but a statement. <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah, parting shots. I... I think what you know what we've sort of hit on is this is a dip in play. The travel really is a complicating factor, you know. Yeah, like, the one thing I want to say about the travel is that I know people are like, "Oh, it's an excuse. Don't make excuses for them." Um, and that's fair because great teams should still win. You know, they shouldn't have lost that game to Chicago on Saturday. At the same time, when you have a stretch like this, we have a wealth of science and research that tell that informs that. Uh, during and at the end of a stretch like this players are not playing to their peak that's physical that's mental Um, humans don't do well with this much travel across time zones regularly Um, it is not an excuse uh, in the like the the micro sense of yeah they should have done things differently against both of those teams to win those games Uh, but in the the larger sense losing five and seven games and hanging some of it on fatigue um, that is like there is evidence to suggest that that absolutely is a factor. Yeah. Don't panic. Just observe and remember. Remember what? Just, you know, keep, like, remember that what happened in those losses. Don't necessarily draw conclusions based on what happened in those losses. But if they keep on being concerns as the schedule lightens up, then you can maybe panic. When you, you lose, know? don't lose the lesson. Yeah. 
All right. Um, with that, we'll wrap up the first episode. Uh, looking forward to more feedback from you guys so we can tailor this to what you want to hear, what you, the subscriber, wants to hear. Uh, we'll see some of you guys on Wednesday, and we'll talk to you again next Monday or Tuesday for the, the next episode of the podcast. Eric, thanks so much for coming on. Hail Zorp. Hail Zorp. Have a good one, Blake. If only to be a reasonable man.